With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Uh, here in the closet again. Here in the closet at WBSM. Once again, recording uh, in a dark corner. When do we come out of the closet? Uh, well, that's up to you guys. Each person has to find their own way and, and uh, follow their own path in life. And Unfortunately, our path has led us right into the middle of the World Series... So, again, we are not going to be on the air live, which is pretty good because by the time people are hearing this, it would have been well past the time that we would have been on the air live. So, you know, you're better off for having checked out the podcast. It's kind of like a time paradox, Matt Moniz, science advisor Matt Moniz, who is here with us. You like how I don't do the introductions when we podcast? Yeah, it's all right. It's, you know, there's this general loose feeling to it. And, you know, right now we're in the process of securing a lot of big-name guests, uh, to try to come on the show, and what they're going to do is they're going to go to these um, audio podcasting sites, and they're going to click on the latest episode, and they're going to hear this, and they're going to call us up and be like, yeah, listen, uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we have not had the uh, benefit of being live on the air, interacting with callers, uh, being able to take calls from guests, so we're making do the best we can. So tonight we're kind of going to do a little bit of a uh, just a reflection on the last uh, couple weeks in the paranormal, what's been going on, talk to you about some experiences we've had ourselves uh, recently, as well as some of the uh, investigative work that Matt Moniz has done. He found something interesting online that we will talk about uh, in a little while. And also, you know, we'll keep you up to date with the things that have been going on for the Halloween season. Uh, now, tonight, of course, is game one of the World Series, so that's why we're not on the air Let's all hope that the Detroit Tigers can sweep this thing up pretty quick. Uh, the, the way the schedule works out is the 28th next Saturday night is scheduled to be game six. So as long as the Tigers can win it in five, which you'll notice I'm saying Tigers because I just don't think the Cardinals will do it, but as if the Tigers can win it in five, we'll be on the air live next Saturday night. Otherwise, we'll just come back to our little closet here and, and hide, light a candle, and you know, open up a window because it's pretty close quarters and we stink. So, and hopefully we'll be back on the air. But for now, a much more relaxed atmosphere. If we swear, we swear. So let's see what's uh, going on lately, guys. What's been uh, what's been happening in your lives? I know that uh, Matt Moniz, you went to the uh, Mass Monster Mash conference as well as the MUFON conference. Those two nights there put together by John Horrigan. How did it go? It was excellent. The Monster Mash was. Uh a pretty good success. There was uh, about, I'd say, at least half the uh, auditorium there filled. Uh, the speakers were very, very entertaining. Uh, Stan Gordon actually got to speak on both nights. Chris Pittman was there, uh, as well as Chris Balzano, uh, and a handful of other people, some that are actually going to be coming on our show in a uh, couple of weeks, over the next few weeks here. Absolutely. And uh, now, how did people react to discussion the first night of the Bridgewater Triangle? Were there a lot of people who, this is the first they'd heard of it, or were these some serious uh, triangle files? 
A good portion of them were serious triangle files, as you put it. I also got to watch a little bit of history being made right next to me during the uh, mash. Chris Balzano and uh, Chris Pittman were sitting next to me uh, at the table, and they both decided that they were going to collaborate on a book together on the uh, Bermuda Triangle. Well, you know, it's about time because there's not enough written about it. I mean, Lauren Coleman put out the book uh, in the early 80s that kind of created the whole concept of the Bridgewater Triangle, but it really does need a serious updating. And both of these guys uh, have been working in little bits and pieces and areas of the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, in addition to Aaron Kadju's film and his second film that he's working on. Uh, so maybe it's time that these all came together into one umbrella project and really tried to make this you know, something definitive on the Bridgewater Triangle, the Hockamock Swamp, and, and the Freetown State Forest. So we'll definitely be revisiting it in future episodes of Spooky South Coast because it's it's just ridiculous, uh, just the amount of reports that come out of there and the things that go on. And reports continue to come out of it to this day. Which, if you have a Bridgewater Triangle report, uh, something recent that may not have uh, made it onto Chris Pittman's site or... Uh, Chris Balzano sites, uh, please email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Not only will I make sure that it gets to Chris and Chris uh, and gets listed on their respective websites, but also I'm working on a story for the Standard Times for next week's newspaper about the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, we're gonna, with the Halloween season coming up, we're trying to focus on a little bit of the paranormal in the area. So one of the stories we have planned is a story on the Bridgewater Triangle and also a story about fear junkies, those who are addicted to fear those who run into places that people will run out of so and you know we're going to take that from both a uh adrenaline rush endorphin type stance and also from a scientific investigation standpoint uh we'll talk to some people that you may have heard uh here on spooky south coast maybe some different folks so uh keep your eyes peeled to the standard times for those stories and if you have anything you'd like to share and contribute again tim at spooky com. Or go to SpookySouthCoast.com, sign up for the message board, and you can share your stuff there as well, which uh, we've actually gotten some pretty interesting uh, information up there uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, while we've been off the air, people have been going to that message board and using that as kind of like a surrogate for the show. Uh, and I know that there was a lot of people who you know, miss what it is that we're talking about, and they want to keep the discussion going all week long, and that's the way to do it. It's also a place just to hang out. It's like a community. Uh, you know, we make a lot of friends there, people that we've really come to get to know. We met up with uh, some listeners recently. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. And also tonight, uh, right before we did the show, our own silent assassin, Matt Costa, put some photos up on the message board from his trip to the Rock and Shock convention last weekend as well. So, uh, Matt, why don't you tell everybody who you got to speak to at this convention and just exactly what went on? Actually, it might be easier if I told you who I didn't get to talk to, but <laughs> well, I got to talk to many of my the horror icons from my childhood, especially Doug Bradley, of course, uh, Hellraiser, which I was scared to death to talk to. Was he a scary in real life? I, I actually, hmm? yes, he was. I, just actually the eyes are scary. Eyes. But Michael Berryman. Even a weirdo in person. Yeah. But he was great to talk to. Big Family Guy fan. Talked to him for about a half hour about Family Guy and American Dad. And what was it that he said to you that 
Didn't he ask you why he hasn't been a joke yet on Family Guy? Oh, he was he was wishing that he could be a joke on Family Guy. So Seth MacFarlane, so, if you're listening, I also met some guys from Taps, our friends from Taps, Steve Gonzalez. I never met him before. That's really scratchy. Yeah, it's not good to move this microphone. Wow, it sounds totally weird over here. There's wires everywhere in this closet. <laughs> okay, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Silent Assassin right over. There you go. And the person that I enjoyed the most talking to was Betsy Palmer from the first Friday the 13th movie, which she was just the most genuine, genuinely glad to be there out of all of them. She just oh. seemed like a... She even gave me a hug. That's, why. That's she, how great it was. And she seems to fully embrace the horror fans as well, where, you know, some of these actors, uh, they're just they're in a couple of horror movies, and it's a chance to go out and make a couple extra bucks to go to these conventions. You know, she is somebody who will forever be known as Jason's mother. So to see her fully embrace it, you know, it's not like the William Shatner effect, you know, the, the Saturday Night Live get, get a life, you know, it's not like that type of atmosphere uh, for some of these people. But I'm sure for a lot of them, they kind of had that distance from the fans. Yeah, some of them. Uh, should I name names? No, I don't. Right, I won't name any names. You're going to shorten the Spooky South Coast guest list if you do. Even the... Uh the kid from the new Damien movie was there. He wasn't really signing autographs. He was more involved in playing paper airplanes. But he was there. Well. He, he seemed like a little hellraiser. So did Doug Bradley adopt him? Was that I don't think, the plan? I don't, no. It seemed like Doug Bradley didn't really like kids. You know what would be a great cross-promotion is if they sold those little boxes from Hellraiser. It's true. Like if they had those for like nineteen ninety-nine, you could buy one. That would be a good promotion. But I guess, I don't know. Maybe I should call Doug see if he needs an agent. He might. Yeah, he was got that book. You want to you want to plug true. his book for him? The sure. It's uh, Doug Bradley behind the mask. Yes. The behind the mask of horror. So I uh, I have yet to start it. You brought me a copy to read. I have yet to start it, but I have, uh, I have yet to start it. Also, I will. Uh, I'm afraid to break the binding because he signed it. Oh, he signed it. Yes. Well, in that case, uh, you don't want to open it because that's opening the Pandora's box. If it has a signature, you know what I mean. And then you know what will happen. So it sounds like you had a lot of fun. It sounds like uh, Rock and Shock was quite the event. Next year, hopefully, we can get on the ball with it a little bit earlier uh, now that we've made some friends there and and we can try to get some of the guests that they're going to have next year come on Spooky South Coast and talk to our audience uh, in advance. And do you think, uh, you know, I'm sure you probably got Betsy Palmer's digits. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, you know, we forgot Matt Moniz. Uh, I forgot. I, I asked him. I asked him to ask her, but I forgot to remind him to ask her if the Betsy Palmer that joined our MySpace was the same Betsy Palmer because we actually got a request. Like I didn't even go out and find this one. It was actually a request in the inbox. You know, please be my friend. I'm Betsy Palmer from Friday the Thirteenth, and I wasn't sure if it was really her. It'd be really cool if it was. During our conversation, I, she did say that she does not have the internet. So I so, doubt it was her. Yeah, I doubt it is. It's uh, but it may be like her publicist or yeah, it it could be like her fan club manager or just some sicko. It's probably just some sick fuck. Probably. Yeah, like uh, that sick fuck that runs the MySpace page for the uh, sister from Pet Cemetery. Yep. I heard there's some weirdo that has a uh, Henry Warnham on (laughs) MySpace. I don't know who this guy is, but I found him and he's got dirty pictures of Punky and. And they want them on by stented cans. Oh, you do that good. 
I do. I wonder if uh, I wonder if I know the guy. All right, I want to jump back over onto this mic because that one's just freaking me out. It's a very phallic microphone. This one here is, you know, non-mistaken for anything phallic. All right, getting back into the subject matter. So that's uh, that's our report from both the uh, the, the Monster Mash conference and the uh, the Rock and Shock conference. And as Matt Moniz said, uh, we are going to have Stan Gordon on our program November. It's the third, fourth, I think. Fourth, the first Saturday in November, we will have Stan on the program. And we will talk about Kexburg. We will talk about UFOs. We will talk about the experience of coming and talking to the uh, Massachusetts chapter of MUFON and the Monster Match people. We'll find out what he thought of of the city. I know that you got a chance to take him around and, and sightsee a little bit. What were his impressions of the Boston area? Well, he's been to Boston many times before. Okay. And uh, one of his favorite places to be up here is actually Cape Cod. He loves Cape Cod. Um, but... His uh, appearance at the Monster Mash was actually to give lectures about Bigfoot and how it relates to the uh, Bridgewater Triangle and how Bigfoot UFOs and ghost sightings all in the same area that they're in happen just like they do with the Bridgewater Triangle. They have their own version of their own little Bridgewater Triangle down there. So we will definitely get into all of that on the 4th of November. So make sure you stay tuned. We will be on the radio that night. We're sure of it. So uh, have your questions ready to call in. And if you can't call in, if you're somewhere where you don't get the show, uh, feel free to send us a message on the message board or email us your questions. But uh, there may be a chance, and we don't want to let any cats out of any bags, but there may be a chance that you'll be able to enjoy the show no matter where you are by that point. But we'll see what happens. Uh, that's all we want to say on that for right now. We don't want to make any promises we can't keep. So, and also during the off time, uh, as I said earlier in the show, we had a chance to meet up with a couple listeners, uh, Jeanette, who is from California, and she runs the Mags West group out there, and also Carrie from New Hampshire, she's part of Granite State Paranormal. We're down here last Sunday night uh, to visit Fall River to stay at the Lizzie Borden house, and we were going to meet up with them and, and go to the Factory of Terror and the Asylum of Horror. And uh, check those out with them, but uh, they went and visited Keith Johnson, and they got back a little bit late. And you know, it's it's way more important to spend time with Keith and to to gain just a little bit of his knowledge than to go into a haunted house. As great as those two uh, haunted houses are, but you know, for serious investigators to to spend that time with Keith was much more valuable. So while they were out there, we decided to go in and visit with Ann Wilbur, the the owner of the property. It's now a bed and breakfast. If you'd like to stay, it's Lizzie Borden dot com. And you can uh, sign up to, to get a room there. But we thought we'd just go in and say hi. And I don't know what it is about us, but it just seems to be the way that it goes. Within about 15 minutes, we were already poking around, conducting an investigation. Uh, you know, we go in to say hi and how you doing and, and, and visit for a few minutes. And the next thing you know, we're running around the house. Being put to work. Exactly. And, you know, we well, because the question that we posed to her was, you know, has there been any recent activity in the home? And the answer is yes. It's kind of constantly going on in the home. So she showed us some uh, photographic anomalies, and she showed us uh, some other clippings and interesting stories uh, about the place. So we decided to poke around. And now the last time we were there, prior to the episode where we talked about the Lizzie Borden house, uh, Matt Costa and myself went over there one afternoon 
and we kind of poked around a little bit, but it was, you know, it's hard, first of all, to do an investigation during the day when the place is active and bustling. Second of all, there's a bus station right across the street. So that kind of caused some trouble with trying to capture any EVP evidence. So this was a nice, quiet night. There wasn't a lot of traffic. There wasn't a lot of wind. You know, there wasn't a lot of people staying in the house. In fact, none of the guests, uh, with the exception of uh, Anne, who was a yeah. a friend of, of Leanne's who was staying there, you know, there weren't any and guests. And couple. Yeah, but even they were out when we first started poking right. around. Uh, so, you know, it was a nice opportunity to try to, to, to look around and, and see what we could find. So we went up to the third floor, which uh, Matt Costa and myself had not visited the last time we were there. And uh, for some reason, I don't know if it was the reports about the room or something drew you there or just the way you started, but you went right into the quote-unquote sewing room Correct. right away. Was there a reason why that you picked that room first? or It was just something that said go in there. And now the reports out of this room is that there's a, there's an old-fashioned sewing machine, the th- uh, entire table, you know, that type right. of unit. And, and the reports are that it will go off on its own. Uh, so we went in there hoping to try to make that happen. Now, it's interesting you say go off on its own. You have to remember this is a human-powered sewing machine. Yes, absolutely. It's not electric. Yes. It's the foot pedal version where you have to pump uh, your pe- the, the pedal with your foot, and that causes the machine to go up and down. Um, so it's, you know, it would definitely have to be something moving. It, it couldn't be electrical. Uh, it couldn't be, I don't know, what it, anything to do with vibration or, or any type. Yeah, it's a mechanical device. And it's it's not exactly like it's uh, in perfect working order where, you know, just the slightest touch will do it. I mean, it took some force to make it move. Yeah, it takes force to move that pedal. So why don't you uh, why don't you walk everybody through what happened when we went into that room, and, and uh, we'll just, Matt and I will just jump in with any details where necessary. Uh, going into the room, uh, Anne was kind enough to loan us her camera. So uh, I was taking some basic background pictures of the room uh, just for files. And uh, I had definitely a sensation that there was something moving about in the room. The uh, room was, I would say, probably 10 feet by 15 feet thereabouts. And... Uh, so it's a small room. Yeah, I mean it's a guest room, so they're they're kind of just thrown together out of attic space, essentially. Yeah, it's on the top floor, so the, you don't have that much room to to start with anyway, with the slope walls of the ceiling line. Um, when we closed the door, you know, we had a little interesting event happen because these guys got all freaked out because the door popped, and that actually had to do with the negative air pressure once the um, heating system shut off the forced hot air which is right over the door that's what we're we're making that assumption i mean uh if i i distinctly saw when the door uh opened a little bit i saw something moving behind it uh but i'm pretty sure that what that probably was was the 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 way the door frame was my angle of vision around the door frame uh might have just been the way that it blocks the light. You know how when mm-hmm. you stand, you know, you look through a, the crack in a door and it can change the way the light reflects. Um, Matt Costa said that he definitely latched that door, and it's one of those uh, overhook, I guess you could call it, the old-fashioned door door locks. So you have to lift up to pull that up. Correct. And what kind of uh, air pressure would there have to be? That There would have to be a vacuum, I would think, to suck that, to, to lift that handle up. Um, 
to go. You know what I mean? Like if the air, the vent was over the, the door. The pressure on the outside of the door would have to be greater than the pressure on the inside. What happened is you had two uh, eight-inch vents basically right above the door, and they're forcing air into that small room. Uh, it's a matter of physics. The more air you're trying to pump into a room, it's going to have more pressure. So that would keep the door closed. Once that heat's shut off, you have a room outside, a lar- much larger room outside of that with air pressure behind it. It's going to force that door open now because there isn't as much pressure inside the room you're in anymore. So now pressure has to be relieved. So the door would naturally push, want to push in. And then as it pushed in, that force was enough to make that little latch pop up and over. Right. It, depending upon how worn that latch is, it may have been sufficient enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here to I understand. to get the explanation out. Because uh, at the time, I was you know I was pretty uh, freaked out by it, only because I was standing right next to it when it happened. Yeah. So I mean that was if I was, I was on, the, on other, the other side of the room. Yeah, so. if I was on the other side of the room, I probably would have been a little bit more skeptical. But immediately I was like, oh my god, the door just popped open, and it wasn't Matt Costa because he was standing next to me on the other side. But uh, so just jump into it anytime if you want on this discussion too, Matt, because I'm sure there'll be details that I I leave out. So we went into that room and, and we had that happen, but essentially that was it during that time we For were in that the room. room. Yeah. So I think it was yeah it was immediately we went into the next room, uh, the the chimney room, correct, which is right next door to it. Now this room was noticeably colder. Yes. Uh, I went over to the window. I didn't feel any. Well, afterwards, you know, later on in the night, I went over to the window to feel if I felt any drafts or any leaks. I didn't feel any around the window that seemed especially significant. However, uh, the chimney that is in the middle of the room starts in the lower floors and runs, it actually starts in the dining room, I believe. Correct. And it runs all the way up into this room. So it's possible that some of the masonry work on that chimney is older and is chipping away and that there could be cold drafts coming in through that. And just the fact that there's a chimney in the middle of the room kind of lends to having a little bit colder air too. So there could be a reason why it was noticeably colder. Maybe they don't have the heating vents on all the way going into that room because there was nobody staying in it, and it kind of be a waste of heat to throw it in there. But it was definitely colder. I mean, it was it was very palpable when you walked into the room. I would agree. So, and then there is a bed in that room, and I decided to lay down on the bed and try and just assimilate with the surroundings a little bit. Uh, one thing that I didn't want to do is I didn't, because I kind of jumped to the conclusion with that door in the sewing room, I wanted to try to get myself out of that mode a little bit. I wanted to try to kind of relax, uh, in the dark and get a little bit used to what's going on and not be as hopped up and as nervous or, or as not nervous, but as reactionary as I felt I was being. So I laid down on the bed, not the way you would normally lay on a bed, but kind of sideways with my feet hanging over and on my back. And I put both my hands on my chest uh, and then I just laid there, uh, just chilling out for a few minutes. And all of a sudden I felt an especially strong coldness over my hands. And I felt a little bit of a tingling sensation that started to get stronger and stronger. So I called Matt and Matt over and I said, guys, hold your hands over my hands and see if you feel that. And I, I know at the time, at least I think I remember you saying that you felt that it was definitely colder. You could definitely feel that it was cold over your hands. Yes. And- and, you know, generally, uh, I would say, you know, the power of suggestion or something, but wouldn't I? I'd be throwing off heat in a cold room, not coldness. Uh, no offense to your 
size here. I'm but a big man, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you would generally be throwing off heat. Most people uh, of your size would be definitely rating a lot more heat. So feeling cold over you was a bit curious to me. And I also, like I said, I felt a tingling in the back of my hands uh, that started to get really strong. And, you know, sometimes when you, like, put your hand down and it'll, you know, you'll take the pressure on your hand and it'll start to tingle a little bit or you'll feel a little bit of a pain sensation. You know, they were just laying flat on my chest, so there shouldn't have really been any reason for that feeling. Um, so I did ask Matt Costa to, to you were, had your hands over mine and not touching but hovering over because if you were touching, that would have been kind of gay since we were sitting there in the dark and stuff and, I mean, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you just didn't, you're not comfortable enough in your masculinity yet to be able to hold another That's man's true. hand in the dark. I understand. Not everybody can be. But you did hold your hand over my hand, and you said that you felt some of that tingle? I did. I put my hands, or my right hand, over your hands. And I didn't exactly feel the coolness, but I did feel the electrical charge go up my shoulder. And then, um, which was kind of weird, but then I, uh, took my left hand and put it over your hand, and that a sh- that shock went up to about my elbow, which I, to, to this day I can't really explain. But Well, <laughs> I hope it was something paranormal, because if it wasn't, that means I'm giving off an electrical charge. Electro-man. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am Ernest P. Worrell, Electro-Man. Which, that could be a problem, because if I ever actually want to, you know, not have the silent assassin do all the work for me and, and run all the boards and actually try to do something myself, I'll start shorting out equipment. You know, oh, there you go. So, but anyway, so I felt this electricity. And so once I had them verify the fact that it was actually happening and I wasn't just imagining it, I decided to just, you know, go with it and see what happened. And, and it started to tingle over me more and more, like down my body. So... I said, gee, there's there's something here. There's something going on. So I said, you know, if there is a spirit present, you know, give us a sign. The the general questioning and, and uh, power, you know, the, the line of questioning and suggestion you would go through in an investigation. And I remember at some point saying, you know, if, if you're really here, do something, move the bed. And the bed started to vibrate. Now, can you guys verify that the bed was vibrating? I didn't, I don't know if. I was in a room in the dark with you. I couldn't tell if the bed was vibrating. Because I didn't know if, when it was vibrating, if it was people walking downstairs, if it was cars driving by, if it was, uh, when I said that I felt it was vibrating, if people had come over and put their hands on it and therefore it would shift around a little bit and I would feel like it was vibrating. But there definitely seemed to be a vibration to the bed. And I was like, well, if you can do that, why don't you do it a little bit harder? And it didn't really go any harder. So then I said, well, then why don't you try moving me? And after I said that, my legs are hanging, dangling over the side of the bed. And after I said that, I could feel something picking up my legs. My legs are just lifting up from the position that they're in. I felt, uh, in my mind, like they were at a 90-degree angle. And, Matt, you were right down on them with the the camera. I was about six inches away from your feet with the camera, yes. And you said that they did not move that high, but they did move. They definitely did lift off the floor. Your feet were originally almost flat-footed on the floor. As much as a short guy like me could reach. Uh, But uh, you did have them very, very close to the floor, enough that they would have been, if you just flexed your foot slightly, you would have been easily touching the Yeah, the the mattress itself was maybe, what, three feet off the ground at the highest? Yeah, if that. And 
So they, but I, I felt like they were moving, but you definitely could see some motion in them. Yeah, they raised, uh, from what I could tell in the photographs uh, from the camera that Ann let us borrow, your feet got up about four or five inches further than what they were laying, you know, sitting on the floor. And I know that the people listening out there are saying, well, of course they moved because Tim was lifting up his feet. Um, but I guess the only thing I can say is you'll have to take my word for it that I wasn't. Um, because I, I definitely was not moving my feet. I was trying to be as relaxed as possible and let whatever was there move me. Uh, and then uh, for a while I could feel them lifting up and my back was flat against the bed, but I felt like, and I still can't really explain it. I've had a week now to think about it, and I still can't really think of any better way to put it than I felt like something was trying to pull me out of me. Uh, like with Even though my back was flat against the bed, it's like somebody was trying to take everything that's inside and yank it upward. Uh, and as I said at the time, I felt like it was definitely something male. Uh, I don't know why I felt that, but it was maybe it was because of the force that I was feeling. You know, I felt that it was definitely something male. Uh, so after a few minutes, it went away, and my legs went down to the ground, and I got up, and immediately when I got up, I fell over you almost, onto you. Yeah, I had to catch you. <laughs> so that was a little bit draining, and, and generally, you know, I... I wouldn't want to be like that because I think that that, you know, I think when, when somebody claims to go through a paranormal experience, it gets up and is like, oh, you know, it's kind of like overselling it a little bit. So I didn't, I was trying to really, when I got up, I was trying to stay on my feet and not stumble. And that's actually what made me stumble a little bit more, I think. Uh, but you did catch me. Thank you for that, by the way. Not a problem. Because there was a big chimney right over there and I was going that's for that. Where, that's where I saw you headed. And and so we left that room for a few minutes uh, and then when we went back in, uh, wh- what we did is we went downstairs. We told everybody what happened. Uh, by that point, Jeanette and Carrie were back. Yep. And then we immediately get handed equipment that they brought. They were kind enough to loan us a, a digital thermometer and an EMF detector, uh, which in addition to Anne's, in addition to Anne's camera, which she's a professional photographer. Yes. Uh, Hot Shots Photography. Look it up online. Anna Balo. Check out some of her work. It's good stuff. Uh, but... She let us use this camera, which is a professional camera. So Very good camera. It's better than what we would Thank have. Thank you, Ann, for letting me use it. And she's going to send us the pictures uh, on a disc, and when she does, we're going to post them up on our website. Uh, but So we went back up there. Ann was with us, and we were poking around, you know, just trying to get some baseline readings in these rooms, uh, pretty much flat on the EMF around the bed, so there wasn't anything spiking that would cause Correct. that electrical uh, feeling. We did get a... We got an EMF spike, I remember, at one point, um, either in the sewing we, room or we, in the we've, We had a couple of them in various rooms. The cellar we got, obviously, and I turned around, and there's the electrical panel. So Yeah, that I mean, was right some of them the were, the were explainable. But in the upstairs in the third floor, there were some strange ones. Uh, and then we did get like an instantaneous temperature spike. That correlated with an EMF detection, a high EMF spike at the same time, yes. And, and this was when we were investigating the door to the uh, chimney room, trying to see if it was moving on its own, because it was moving. And we weren't sure if it was air or, you know, whatever it was that was moving. But remember, it was moving yes. slightly. You're also missing what uh, happened back in the sewing machine room. Well, it started, yeah, in the chimney room, and I found... Uh, this EMF oddity near the bed as I went around the backside and I followed it to the wall and it went 
through the wall. So I went, okay, let me go back into the sewing machine room. Found it on the other side of the wall of the sewing machine room, passed by the sewing machine room, and it started to really spike and was sitting right outside the door. And uh, I'm chasing it towards her. I'm watching my spike <laughs> go up. She's watching her temperature go. It's like, it's coming right at you, hon. And we we caught it just as it was right there at the door with both of us, and then it went back into the uh, chimney room again where you guys were. And at this time, I was kind of messing around with Ann's camera. Uh, Correct. Uh, tr- basically, just trying to figure out how to use it <laughs> because I was going to take some photos of Matt while he was chasing the CMF uh, anomaly. And I was holding it down, and I remember I was talking to you about something. You were on my right side, and I was holding the camera with my left hand. All of a sudden, you hear a click, click, and a whir. And Ann looks at me and says, did you just shut my camera off? Like, why are you shutting off my camera? And I said, no, I, I, I didn't shut it off. I must have hit a button or something. And there's no button to yeah, turn it no off. It's one of that. those spin yeah. dial on and off to make sure that you don't accidentally turn it off. Uh, something had shut the camera off. And so she finds out that when she – it's still in the on position when I hand it back to her. And she's like, wow, that's weird. And she gets the camera to come back on, or it just came back on on its own, and it's reset itself for the highest pixel rate, which she said is indicative of when you take the batteries out and put new batteries in. Then it automatically resets to the highest pixel rate. So something drained the power out of that battery, which was fully charged, uh, which you know she said she always keeps it fully charged from when she's going to take photos. I can verify it was fully charged because she when she handed it to me, that was the first thing I looked at. So the, the power sucked down out of it and went right back into it, which is a little bit strange because you hear reports of spirits uh, trying to manifest and drawing pa- uh, power out of batteries, but they usually don't put it back in when they're done. <laughs> so thank you for that, whoever you were. Uh, so that was just another little strange uh, anomaly. Now, Matt Costa and myself were in the other room on the third floor uh, on the opposite side, and... What was it? I remember something happened in the corner. Then we heard a noise in the in the corner near the window. Hmm? Chimney? Not the chimney room. On the opposite side of the third floor. Where you we come up in, the stairs? Yeah, the room right in front of the stairs. We were in there with Anne. Uh, I thought I heard a noise like over near the window. That was with me in that corner. You were in the in the sewing room at the time. Because I heard something, and I remember I turned around and I said to Matt. Because you were by the door with Anne, and I said maybe I'm maybe it was Kerry that was there, but for some reason I thought it was you standing in the doorway with Anne. But well, either way, somebody was standing there with Anne, and I said hold still because I just heard something, which was probably just the creak of the floorboard when I moved. But whatever it was, it caused me to pause and not move, and everybody in the room froze, and almost immediately Matt Moniz yells out. One of you guys just walked toward me because you heard footsteps. Yeah. So it was a good thing that I stopped at that second because otherwise you might not have realized that what it was or we couldn't verify that. And now I know. Yeah. Because you and I went into that room, I guess, what would be your second time. And uh, we were looking for something. I know there was an EMF thing that we were kind of tracking, walking up and down the hallway there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely some, some weird activity going on, too, during the tour. Uh, while they were taking the tour with Leanne around the house and she was uh, giving them all the history of the house, there was an incident where they were stopped and something walked in between two of the people on the tour. They could hear the footsteps and I guess feel it walking between them, uh, which we were probably playing around in the basement, I think, when that happened. Yeah. 
So it wasn't us walking on a ceiling on the floor above them or anything that would cause that noise. Well, we were what two floors down. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we did have in the basement. We did have that weird. What was it? A temperature drop or a spike of about ten degrees? A temperature drop near the basin. All of a sudden, ten degrees, and that's right near the furnace. So you would think that that would be yeah. It would jump up and not down. And the furnace but, was definitely on and running. What? It went up right near the furnace. Yeah, where the basin is. Okay, so maybe that was just a matter of the furnace kicking on. Although it would be kind of strange for it to throw out 10 degrees of heat, but we'd have to get a better look at the furnace to see if it's closed on the flame. And It was just a hot water heater, actually. Yeah, the hot water heater was there. I, I was more concerned with trying to read the EMF detector in the dark. Yeah, yeah. Next time we definitely have to bring the flashlights uh but then again, like I said, we didn't. We know we did, were playing it and doing an investigation. So uh, I don't, I don't want to go on too long talking about this, but I I would like to get all the information out there for people, just because it's the first time I've ever been physically touched by something that I I couldn't see. So, but it happened twice because you went in and was able to repeat it again. We did. We decided that if for this to really stand up, we had to try it a second time with more people in the room and just see what was going on because. You know, we don't know Anne. As wonderful as she was, we don't know her. Um, hmm. And we don't know what her situation is. For all we know, she could be psychic and not know it. You know, there could be some other factor playing into what was going on. Uh, so to to really, you know, a, a successful experiment is only successful if it can be repeated. Correct. So we decided to go back up there and try it again. And actually, by this point, it was after midnight, and I had to get up at 4 the next day for work. <laughs> so I was I was thinking about going home. And as we're getting ready to walk out the door, Jeanette and Carrie stopped us and said, we're going back up to the third floor, right? We're going to do this again? So, of course, we, we had to be you know gracious to our, our listeners who came all this way. So we went back up there. I, I laid back down in the bed, and now we've got a video camera going. We've got a film camera shooting pictures. We've got at least one digital audio recorder going yep. on. No, actually, I think they both had digital audios as well. The EMF detector. The, the I remember there was at least one because somebody left one behind on the bed after right. it was done. So so there was two digital audio recorders. Uh, Matt Costa had his iPod recording uh, audio as well. And we had, uh, like you said, the EMF, the thermometer, and then, of course, the personal feelings of everybody in the room, which was... About five or six people? Yeah, six. So, so that's a pretty significant uh, amount of people and uh, equipment to be able to document anything. So I go right back and I lay on the same position and uh, I do the same process I went through before and I feel the tingling in my hands again. I feel that coldness. I feel the same things that were happening except my legs aren't lifting up. And I must have laid there for about 10 or 12 minutes with nothing happening just thinking to myself, gee, I'd really like to just go home or go to sleep here, one of the two. And I was ready to call it quits. I was ready to get up and say, let's just go. It's not going to happen. When Carrie said, will you please pick up Tim's feet? And as soon as she said that, it was like instantaneous. Oh, Whoop! Your feet came right up about three or four inches. And it was strange because this time I could actually feel fingers on my heels and a thumb on my ankles. I could feel hands lifting up my feet. And at the same time, I could feel that the back of my kneecaps were lifting up too. So it was almost like there was hands on my feet and hands under my knees lifting me. Uh, and 
it was just very strange and I felt like they weren't lifted as much as the first time, but I guess they were probably lifted a little bit more. About the same. Okay. So, but to me, it didn't feel as strong, but I could definitely feel something holding on to me. They were lifted up when, she, as soon as she said please and, you know, they went up and they went up quickly, which was different from the first time where they were going up gradually. slowly, gradually, but definitely moving. And, uh, now I wanted to eliminate any doubt that it could be me that was doing it. So I asked somebody to put their hands on my legs. Uh, you know, if you're going to bend your knees, you're going to feel that muscle moving uh, in the back of your calf. Right. Uh, if you feel, I don't know the exact muscle. There are various tendons. Yeah, if you'll feel that one actually moving, tensing. I mean, even me, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a heavy guy, but my legs aren't really that heavy. They're pretty muscular. So you would feel that moving. It's, they're muscular, by the way, from carrying around this gut. But anyway, <laughs> you would feel that moving. And she said that there was no movement there. It was like something was deadlifting my legs. So, I mean, take that for what it is, but that's about all I can give you to explain that. But it went on for a few more minutes, and and then when it finally subsided, Carrie laid down, and she tried to get it to happen. And she was having her feet were twitching a little bit, and every once in a while they'd kick out. But we weren't sure if, even she said she wasn't sure if that was due to just the lack of circulation from laying like that, mm-hmm. or if it was something was actually trying to trying to grab her or not. But it, it wasn't as strong as what was happening to me, and she said she didn't really feel like something was was grabbing her. So hmm. there's that report. But you know, if you want to stay there yourself and and try it out, go to lizzie-borden.com and and let them know. And you know, you want to ask for the chimney room. What was interesting was the uh, the the way that I helped her with the sound that she heard earlier in the evening. Oh yeah! Oh, tell everybody that story because that was that was very interesting. Well, uh, Carrie was up there earlier. Uh, she was laying in a couch in the middle of the hallway of the third floor of where these three bedrooms are. There is a uh, sound that she heard coming from the sewing machine room. So I decided, okay, why don't you lay on the couch? I'll go in the sewing machine room and do things to various objects in the room. See if this is what you heard. So I went into the room. I uh, tapped on the bed and, you know, moved the curtain around a little, touched the closet door. It's like, okay. So I went over to the sewing machine room, and I decided, let me tap on, tap on the top of the sewing machine. She's like, no, that wasn't it either. So I was like, okay, last possible thing. If this thing supposedly moves, let me move the foot pedal to make it, do its cycle. So that's what I did. I started pumping the foot pedal, and she goes, that's it. That's the noise I heard. (laughs) And she didn't know at the time what it was that you were doing. Correct. She just knew that you were in the room trying to make noises. And uh, once she realized that that's what it was. She freaked. Yeah, of course. And Anne, of course, was going to be staying on the third floor that night by herself. In that room. Yeah, I think she changed her mind after that. I think she might have slept on the floor of somebody else's room by that point, but. It was uh, definitely some strange happenings, and it's definitely coinciding with a lot of the reports that you hear coming out of the Lizzie Borden house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure it's something we'll definitely uh, discuss more in the future. I know that Matt uh, Moniz is uh, trying to put together a, a actual investigation of the of the house with a. Yeah, I guess you want to do it with actual camera setups. And- yeah, I want I want to set it up as a real full investigation. 
The other thing that was interesting was that uh, little thing I picked up on Andrew Borden, the photograph of Andrew Borden. Yeah. I passed pass that information along to uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Gabby, and who is who is an EMT and she's worked in hospitals, including forensics and stuff like that. And she agrees with me uh, with what, and I I cannot figure out for the life of me why nobody has ever noticed this before. And that being, uh, if you look at the crime scene photo of Andrew Borden, of him laying on the couch. Now, the report is that he laid down on the couch and was attacked while he slept. If you look at the, the position of his feet and what's even more interesting, the position of his hips, he was not laying down. He was sitting up when he was attacked. He was facing to the left and forward, and he got knocked down back to the right and backward. In other words, the position of his skeletal frame is not a comfortable position to try and fall asleep in. And we tried to recreate that as much as we could. Uh, and I know that when you brought it up to Leanne, uh, the question uh, lay in the way that the blood spatter was found on the wall. Um, I researched that. There's, I looked up the uh, forensics and, uh, and the blood spatter does correspond to what I'm talking about. So I think, uh, you know, when we actually go there and, and conduct the full-fledged investigation, I think maybe we'll focus on that as well, trying to uh, recreate from different angles. Uh, I mean, if you watch CSI, they'll show you some of the way that they uh, try to copy blood splatter and figuring out the way that it goes. We'll see if there's some sort of technique we can use to try to recreate and see what happened and see what matches up with the photographic evidence. Well, what I want to do is I want to see if I can get a hold of an anatomical skeleton just so that we can photograph in position to show what it's like for somebody to normally lay down the position uh, a skeletal frame would look in its normal position and then match up that to the way uh, is positioned in the photograph of Andrew Borden. So uh, that is our... A little bit of a report on our makeshift investigation of the Lizzie Borden house. Uh, again, we do plan on going back if uh, Ann will be gracious enough to have us. I have a feeling that she will. But if you would like to stay there, please, by all means, uh, contact them, lizzie-borden.com. Let them know that you would like to stay there and check things out. They welcome paranormal investigators uh, to stay there for the night and poke around. I know when we left at 1230, Jeanette and Carrie had plans on staying up all night and, and poking around, so... And uh, once Jeanette gets back from her East Coast trip, we will talk to them and find out exactly what they captured for evidence, if anything, and, and we'll get a further report from them. So why don't we take a quick break right now. We'll, uh, we'll run some commercials, uh, the commercials that we run on the podcast. And when we come back, we will do the Week in Weird. We'll also tell you about some upcoming paranormal programming on your television, uh, as well as something that's happening right here and the city of New Bedford, if you're looking for a psychic experience, you don't want to miss that, so stay tuned. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. 
Crystal Expectations' knowledgeable staff has over 40 years' experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. I'm knitting myself a hat. And I'm sewing up a head to wear it on. I'm making myself some mittens. And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 And news reports brought to you here on the Sub-Ether Wave Band, broadcasting around the galaxy around the clock. And we'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere. And to everyone else out there, the secret is to bang the rocks together, guys. Oh, all right then. Spooky South Coast is back. Holy cow. I can smell I'm not afraid. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Well, maybe not an hour exactly, but the second portion of Spooky South Coast. And uh, before we get into the week and weird, uh, one thing that we do want to mention uh, is a couple of announcements here. Well, there's more than one thing, but we're going to mention a couple of announcements here uh, just to let people know what's going on over the next couple of weeks. First of all, um, if you live in the Wareham area, you're now able to catch Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers every Friday night at 11 on Channel 9. So they just started on Friday the 13th with Season 1. So if you uh, tune in this week, you'll have only missed the first two, and you'll have a chance to see pretty much the entire series run so far. And, uh, of course, we're going to be appearing on a future edition of Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers, so that should be quite scary for the audience to have to see our faces. And then uh, on top of that, if you are into watching paranormal television hey on halloween you're going to want to stay up all night because on halloween on the sci-fi channel ghost hunters that's right the crew from taps are going to have an all-night investigation on live television grant and jason will explore the haunted stanley hotel the inspiration for stephen king's horror classic the shining in a six-hour live broadcast starting at 11 p.m eastern time tuesday october 31st so that's going to go all night long so set your dvrs if you can't stay up because they're going to do a live ghost hunt, and who knows what they're going to capture. 
and I'm sure they'll probably pare that down at some point and air like an hour version of it with just any evidence they might capture. But also before that, uh, it is back this Halloween. The Ghoul returns to Boston CW on Saturday, October 28th from 12 to 4 p.m. Hide your children, lock your doors, close your curtains, and head for your couch because Boston CW presents an all-new frightening edition of Creature Double Feature. Get ready for two creepy classics back-to-back on Saturday, October 28th for the special edition beginning at noon. Tune in for 1973's Horror Express, followed by the 1968 favorite Night of the Living Dead. And, of course, it will be hosted by the ghoul, Ernie Buck Jr., for those not in the know. And uh, hopefully we'll have Ernie on sometime in the future to talk about whether or not we can get this as a regular thing now. So had some pretty good response back in June, when they, July, when they did it. And uh, so much so that they brought it back for Halloween, so maybe we can make this a, a weekly series. That is, if Ernie wants to undergo all that makeup all the time. Uh, also, another major event happening uh, with our friends at Crystal Expectations. They're running a psychic fair on Sunday, October 29th. It'll be an all-day event with a palmist, a dream past-life psychic interpreter, a spirit reader, or that's a person who can contact dead people, and, of course, their tarot and astrology readings. They'll even do more if possible. Readings will be $30 for half an hour reading, by the way. The hours for this psychic fair will be 12 to 5, and part of the proceeds will go to Animal Advocates. For more information, go to www.crystalexpectations.net, and you can also visit them on Brock Avenue here in New Bedford, or you can give them a call as well. 508-997-7898, I believe. That's off the top of my head, so I'll double-check that. Just uh, go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll have all the information up there. So that's uh, pretty much... Oh, one more quick announcement uh, before we get into the week and weird. uh, The footage from Waverly Hills that Matt Moniz and Joe Gonski captured is now available on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube.com, uh, just type in Spooky South Coast, type in Matt Moniz, type in Waverly Hills, uh, any of that stuff, and you're going to come up with the video. It's it's a smaller version of what we've put out there before. That's just the way that YouTube put the video up. So remember, if you want a DVD, uh, just you know, send us a couple of bucks to cover the cost of the DVD, and we'll ship you out one. And now it's time for the portion of the show that we like to call... The Week in Weird. And our first story is going to come to us this week from science advisor Matt Moniz, who is going to tell us uh, about what is not a new breakthrough, but is a little bit kind of sort of. All right. From the BBC News. A U.S.-British team of scientists has successfully tested a cloak of invisibility in the laboratory. The device mostly hid a small copper cylinder from microwaves and tests like the University in Oklahoma. It works by deflecting microwaves around the object and restoring them on the other side as if they had passed through into space. The cloak consists of ten fiberglass rings covered with copper elements and is classed as metamaterial, an artificial composite that can be engineered to produce a desired change in the direction of electron. Like visible light waves, microwaves bounce off objects, making them apparent and creating a shadow. But microwave frequencies and the detection has been made by instruments rather than me. But microwave frequencies, their detection, 
has been made by instruments rather than the naked eye. Water behaves differently. When water in a river flows around a smooth rock, the water closes up on the opposite side. Someone looking at the water downstream would never guess that it passed around an obstacle. The metamaterial cloak channeled the microwaves around the object like water flows around a rock. In the experiment, the scientists first measured microwaves traveling across the plane of view with no obstacles. They then placed a copper cylinder in the same plane and measured the disturbance or the scattering of the microwave. Next, the researchers placed the invisibility cloak over the copper cylinder. The cloak did not completely iron out the disturbance, but greatly reduced the microwaves being blocked or deflected. In principle, the same theoretical blueprint could be used to cloak objects from visible light, but this would require much more intricate and tiny metamaterial metamaterial structures, which scientists have yet to Now, we were talking about this earlier today, and you said that this isn't really new news uh, in terms of being done, that this has been done before? Yeah, actually, this is similar, but not exactly the same uh, thing that was done in the early 1940s, uh, actually late 1930s into the early 1940s, which was the basis of the Philadelphia Now, I've gotten to see the original uh, film of where they made a small model boat disappear, and that was using a series of electromagnetic waves to bend the light around it, and they actually made this model of this boat disappear. They then tried to scale it up, and that's what brought us our Philadelphia experiment that we did today. All right, and uh, speaking of experiments, uh, why don't we have the uh, Wareham experiment, uh, experiment gone bad. Matt Costa, why don't you uh, read for us from the... Weak and weird files. Is it the animation of the flies? No, I wish. But I know you're going to be upset about this, Moniz, because I know how you like your pizza. But millions of anchovies have died in northern Spain after an unexplained mass beaching. The fish were found stranded along large stretches of Colinga Beach, 35 miles east of the port city of Gaijin. More than three tons have been found so far, and it is thought that the cause of the mass beaching is due to fleeing predators. Experts have studied ex- experts had studied the dead anchovies and found no evidence of toxic chemicals that could have been the cause of the beaching. Another factor may have been another factor that may have dis- disorientated the fish is usually high water temp high water temperatures offshore in the high 70s. Mass beaching of anchovies is unprecedented in northern Spain, and a cleanup team is dispatched to begin scooping up the dead fish to avoid further unwanted environmental side effects. Or they could just make the world's largest Greek salad. I know why the anchovies are jumping out of the water. Because they realize that they suck. Anchovies suck. You said that you'd be upset about that one. Is you're an anchovy fan? Not particularly. Okay. But I am a pizza fan. Oh, pizza rocks, but with anchovies? I mean, and I love weird food. I'll eat sardines. You can dump a can of sardines on my throat. Oh, I care. I don't know. Just the anchovies. It's like, it's so salty, it burns. I was going to say, you can eat salt. So, I think my headphones just cut Why don't you wear sneakers? Jesus. 
nowhere in the closet. All right, now I can hear better. All right, well, from routers, after four decades of bending spoons, halting clocks, reading minds, and penning metaphysical thrillers, Yuri Geller is seeking a paranormal protege. A reality television show being produced in Israel, where Geller grew up, will feature ten contestants vying for the title of heir to the world-famous celebrity psychic. The format will be something like American Idol. We will keep the performances that are the most riveting and amazing, Geller told Reuters on Wednesday, adding that viewers with intuitive powers will also be invited to call in and compete. 59-year-old Geller declined to elaborate on what supernatural skills the contestants claim to have and whether clairvoyants, who might be assumed to have an edge in predicting judges' votes, are taking part. He described the prize simply as huge. Keshet, a franchise of Israel's Channel 3 television, confirmed on its website that the show was being produced but gave no further details. This is not a show where people have to prove to me that they are for real, Keller said, adding that he has no plans to retire. I just want to be amazed. So, Yuri Geller, I submit to you my power of... Do I have any powers? Observation. Observation? I submit to you my power of making the lamest joke possible during the Week and Weird segment, which... I can't even fulfill that power right now. But with great power comes great responsibility. And uh, I mean, he's supposed to be this great psychic. Should he over his next protege? Don't get crazy. Don't get cra- Don't do not challenge the mind of Yuri Geller. He will start bending these microphones from a distance. He can do it. You know, I, I've had one. Uh, I, I had one email exchange with Yuri, and uh, he is such a positive person he really is uh he's just uh, he radiates peace and love and and i think that uh that's going to draw a lot of people who are serious about this uh, but i hope that nobody tries to take advantage of him oh there, there they go they're bending the keys are bending now you can't drive home actually when you go outside your car is going to be like split in two just so you know it's got your effect. all right well that's the week and weird We'll wrap it up before we get too stupid here. And uh, before we... There's probably other people we can make angry too, so just call it quits while we're at home. But uh, we will also uh, let you know that if you'd like to submit any stories for the Week and Weird, just go to the message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. They'll see a thread there for the Week and Weird added in there, and if we read it on the air, we will give you credit. Even though you didn't write it. How's that? You get full credit for all you had to do is find it in the... Well, if you do go on the uh, Spooky South Coast message board, you will notice that there is, you know, threads for just about everything. Uh, you can share evidence that you've collected. You can share, you know, non-paranormal pictures if you just want to show them to the group. You can tell us your personal stories. Yeah, there's so many options, and we try. You know, if there isn't a, a thread for it, then just post it somewhere. And if uh, we need to, we'll make a thread for it because there's so much discussion about the paranormal out there that we'd like to keep it going all week long. And Matt Moniz posted some interesting evidence earlier this week uh, that he was given by John Horrigan at the MUFON conference last weekend. Uh, Why don't you explain to everybody what it was and exactly what happened and what they can find on the message board? 
All right. Uh, this is a message that was recorded in 1977 on a British uh, news show. Actually, it broke into the news show and overrode it. Now, back in the 1970s, there was a lot of these what were called pirate radio stations. Uh, one in particular was a ship in the uh, North Sea that used to broadcast pirate radio. Most of it just pirate music and um, political ramblings that were basically against this or that or what have you. Just somebody's own, subversive. Ra- yeah, subversive rantings and ravings. Now, this was common back in the 70s. But what was interesting is it over this particular broadcast went over a national television show's airwaves. Now, this is just before cable, especially in England. And uh, what most people in America don't realize is the British government runs the television shows, uh, well, runs the television stations out there. And the equipment it would take to broadcast over a television signal, though not out of the realms of possibilities, it can be done, but the cost of the equipment to do it and the power that would be needed to, that you would have to have available to broadcast over such a signal wasn't that common for people back in 1977. So why don't we play that little clip right now for the listeners, and you can hear it, you can judge for yourself. Uh, now, in addition to posting this audio on the message board, Matt also posted a link to a transcript of what's being said. So if you can't make out exactly what's being said, because you know the audio does cut in and out, interspersed with the news report, uh, so if you want to be able to get a really clear understanding of what's being said, just click on the transcript there and you can read along as you're listening. So uh, here it is. It's about six minutes long, and uh, when we get back, we'll talk to you about some of the theories surrounding it. The Rhodesian nationalist leader, Bishop Abel Muzarewa, has accepted Mr. Smith's offer to negotiate an internal settlement based on one man, one vote. But, he says, there are conditions. These include stopping the execution of all captured prisoners of war, allowing Giroud to take part in negotiations, being arrested. In Australia, Mr. Kerry Packer's cricketers are still pleased about yesterday's High Court decision, which lifts the ban on them playing in test matches. This is the voice of Allah, representative of the Ashtar Galactic Command, speaking to you. For many years you have seen us as lights in the skies. We speak to you now, you send us as we have done to your brothers and sisters all over this, your planet Earth. We come to warn you of the destiny of your race and your world so that you may communicate to your fellow beings the course you must take to avoid the disaster which threatens your world and the beings on other worlds around you. This is in order that you may share and great awakening as the planet passes into the new age of Aquarius. The new age can be a time of great peace and evolution for your race, but only your rulers are made of general forces and can overshadow their judgments. Be still now and rest, or your chance may not come again. All your weapons of evil must be removed. 
the time for conflict is now past, and the race of which you are a part may proceed to the higher stages of its evolution, if you show yourselves worthy to do this. You have but a short time to learn to live together in peace and goodwill. Small groups all over the planet are learning this, and exist to pass on the light of the dawning new age to you all. You are free to accept the rejected Many go as wide as they are. Then they run out. Here now, the voice of Grimon, representative of the Ashtar Galactic Command, speaking to you. Be aware also that there are many false habits and guides at present operating on your world. They will suck your energy from you, the energy you call money, and will put it to evil ends, giving you worthless dross in return. Your inner divine self will protect you from this. You must learn to be sensitive to the voice within you that can tell you what is true and what is Learn to listen to the voice of truth which is within you. It's such a thing. This is our message. I really appreciate that we can I insist on so delicious. It's only really choice ingredients. I can Cats have nine lives. Best first. Have no fear.
May I? Please do. Why, thank you. Tomato. Ah, scrumptious, simply... We understand that viewers in some parts of the region are receiving a breakthrough in sound. We're sorry about this, and we're doing our best to rectify the fault. Finally back home, engineers are trying to trace the source of what they call a rogue transmission, which lasted about six minutes during ITN's early evening news bulletin. It affected viewers in the Berkshire and Hampshire areas served by the Hannington transmitter. They heard a voice which cut across what I was reading. The voice said, Earthlings, lay down your arms. This is a message from outer space. Well, thousands of viewers later phoned Salon Television, the police, and ITN here. A spokesman for the Independent Broadcasting Authority said, this is the first incident of its kind in Britain. Winchester Police said some people were frightened by the hoax message. They said they sent an officer to calm down one woman. Well, I hope nothing's interrupted this bulletin wherever you are this evening. From all of us here, good night. Radio News at 12, David Geary. The Independent Broadcasting Authority is at a loss to explain the mysterious message that broke into a southern television news broadcast. The slow, deep voice proclaimed, in part, all your weapons of evil must be destroyed, you only have a short time to learn to live in peace. The station was immediately besieged by worried telephone callers demanding an explanation, but as the information officer for the Broadcasting Authority, John Guinery, says, there could be several different causes of the message. Well, we don't, we don't know for sure that it was a pirate call. We know that there were some voices over saying certain things of which we haven't got an exact record. Uh, we've had a lot of accounts, obviously. A lot of people have been phoning us and, and other people about it. We simply don't know what it was. Um, broadcasts, of course, are monitored at, a, at an operation centre. But there, there was simply a mumble and uh, there was some picture distortion. Uh, we had a lot of reports in, but as I say, we, we simply don't know what it was. Independent Radio News, it's three minutes past twelve. So there you have it. That is the 1977 audio clip from Briti British television, uh, supposedly of a extraterrestrial being broadcasting a message to the planet. It's a good message. Yeah. What they're saying is definitely what we've been told by visitors from other planets. As well as from uh, very intelligent people right here on this planet. Exactly. So, I mean, th it's the message relevant is... relevant today. The, exactly. And the message is nothing new, and it's it's nothing that, you know, doesn't still hold up. Uh, however, it, you have to look at... I don't know. I guess hindsight is twenty twenty when you're looking at it from a, a modern point of view, and you say, gee, there's some telltale signs there of possible hoax. Yeah. Uh, when you listen to the woo-woo-woo in the background. And, uh, of course, you got the Bugs Bunny cartoon sounds in the background. Yeah. But what is interesting is those particular cartoons were playing in America at that particular time. Well, that, let's not get too... You're blowing my mind here, Monies. <laughs> let's keep it simple for right now. But uh, the, some of the theories that are out there is that, you know, there were some college kids with a car battery uh, that were able to generate the power they needed to do this. Another theory is that somebody on the inside of the station was high enough, got to the highest level of the broadcast enough that they could uh, jump in there and cut in. 
I mean, there are so many different possible explanations of it, but none of them are really compelling. Well, the only one that I came up with, and I had a couple other people agree with me, uh, was possible Soviet intervention, and in particular, Soviet sub parked off the coast, because that's where this particular uh, tower was broadcasting, is along the southern coast area. The Russians were notorious for radio propaganda. They would interrupt other uh, broadcasts in their uh, vicinities on the borders of their of their states with, quote-unquote, the free world, with their own rhetoric and mind games. Now, it's not out of the realms of possibility that the Russians could have put together this message in the hopes that we would disarm and they would be the only ones left with uh, armaments and stuff like that. It is, yeah, and when you look at that as being the message, you could definitely see where that would uh, come into play. The other thing that uh, people will scrutinize this uh, audio and say is, if it really is a being from another planet, why does it have a British accent? Well, that's the other thing. Uh, it's interesting that they use Ashtar Galactic Command. Now, if anybody that's familiar with contactee information would know the name George Van Tassel. Uh, Van Tassel is the person who was contacted back in the early 50s, well, actually mid to late 50s. He was the individual that started the movement at Giant Rock out in California, and uh, he's also the builder of the Integratron. Uh, he claimed to have been in contact with what was known as the Ashtar Command. And and But, yeah, it definitely was somebody, if it was a hoax, somebody with some serious knowledge of what was going on at a time when you couldn't just jump on the internet and look this stuff up. Correct. Uh, and, and to get back to the point about the, the English accent, yes, you know, that is kind of convenient. But then again, there are also reports of people who say that when they have been, uh, in communication with extraterrestrials, that they do speak English, that they do. They speak whatever language you speak. Exactly. It, because it's not actually happening on a, uh, vocalization to auditory reception process. Depending upon the case. I'll give you a good example of a contactee case where they do use both oh, what is said to have been using both mental telepathy as well as audible voice communication. That being the case of Billy Meyer, uh, the one-armed Switzerland farmer uh, who had been in contact with a group from the Pleiades for a number of years and had a whole host of photographs, video, well, film back actually in those days, and uh, literally reams and reams of contact notes. Uh, Meyer is best known if you look at the poster in the background of uh, Mulder in the X-Files that says, I want to believe that famous photograph with the uh, UFO. That is actually one of Billy Meyer's photographs. Yeah, I mean, we gave you the audio and we presented to you some of the theories. So you can listen to it and you can let us know what you think. Uh, just jump on the message board, go to the thread uh, that Matt posted up there and let us know what you think. And if, you know, maybe there's people out there that can, you know, with just for fun, maybe they can recreate it similarly and send it in to us. I know. Uh, oh, I'd love to do my own version. Oh, well, we'll certainly do that because we can do it. We have the technology. We have a radio station. Well, now you're getting out of control. Now, if you try to pull off something like that, we're going to get kicked off the air. Are you proposing a Halloween time hoax over the WBSM airwaves? It's already been done. Yeah. Somebody did it, and they did it really well. So I don't know if we could live up to that. 
Yeah, I don't think we want, what was it, like several people dying? Yeah. Well, you know, Orson Welles saw that not, at, he saw that as, uh, you know, the, the sacrifices to his art. So, and he's right. I mean, even today, if we were to play that, there would be a significant number of people that would believe that it's true. Speaking of things that uh, people will believe that are true just because they heard them on the media, there's a new television program coming out on VH1. By the time you listen to this, you've probably already seen it. It's, uh, it's going to be on starting October 22nd at 10 p.m., but you know how VH1 is. They'll air it constantly, and it's also up on the vSpot on VH1.com. It's called the Celebrity Paranormal Project. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just read to you the VH1 description of what the show is, and we'll talk about what its intentions are and, and uh, a little bit more of our thoughts and feelings about this now. In a unique blend of gritty horror with high-tech investigation, famous actors, musicians, athletes, and comedians explore real-life hauntings and hunt for ghosts to discover signs of the paranormal. They started with a haunted location, derelict and abandoned, and for this season we found some of the scariest places in the United States. A tuberculosis hospital where a patient died every hour during the height of its epidemic in the 1930s. An asylum for the criminally insane where violent psychotics left behind even more violent ghosts. An old mill plagued by a vengeful ghost of a mill worker who was once mauled in one of the machines under suspicious circumstances, and a deserted 19th century prison which housed the most dangerous criminals of its time. Next, they waited until nightfall and sent in a team of five celebrities to investigate the reports of the paranormal activity and hunt for the ghosts haunting that location. They gave them the history of the site, the background on the ghosts, the testimonials of the sightings. They gave them the latest tools and techniques, EMF meters, laser thermometers, thermal imaging cameras, sensitive digital recorders to pick up EVP recordings, handheld cameras to document themselves, each other, and their experience. And then they left them all alone. The producers and crew packed up, piled into vans, and drove off, leaving only a system of surveillance cameras behind. The celebrity team had until sunrise to identify what is known in paranormal circles as the heart of the haunting, that place where the paranormal energy is most active in a location. These celebrities have dealt with the limelight, they've dealt with fans, they've dealt with photographers and reporters and everything that goes with fame, but they've never dealt with people who have been dead long before they ever became famous. It turns out that when they're alone in the dark and the ghosts come out, celebrities are just like you and me. They scream their heads off. Now, uh, before we even get into the... <laughs> before we even get into the Celebrity Paranormal Project, why don't we at least dissect this... Uh, description a little bit here now. Uh, Matt, you've uh, got about 20 years in the field investigating hauntings. Uh, how many times have you had to determine the heart of the haunting in an investigation? I don't know if I've ever really determined the heart of a haunting. It seems kind of like, uh, oh, it sounds like a game show, like the final round, you know, like like uh, if you're playing Millionaire and you get to the, the, the last question there for a million dollars, it's all right, let's go back uh, here a little bit now. They start with a haunted location, derelict and abandoned. Now, they started with Waverly Hills. The first episode is an investigation of Waverly Hills. Uh, far from derelict and abandoned. No, it is. It's under good care now. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of this is for dramatic effect, and I know that uh, true paranormal investigators are going to scoff at this program, and I'm scoffing right now. It's... Uh, the first episode is already online if you want to see it. I haven't watched it yet because I'm going to, I'm going to wait and watch it on VH1, uh, because 
essentially my television, uh, my computer monitor is very reflective and shiny. And if there's going to be any evidence presented, it's easier to see on my television. But that's, you know, beside the point. Uh, in the investigation of Waverly Hills, the celebrities, and I use that term loosely, being sent in uh, to the investigation include actor Gary Busey, Hal Sparks, who uh, you might have seen on numerous other VH1 programs commenting on pop culture, Survivor winner Jenna Maraska, Takaro from America's Next Top Model, and original Baywatch babe Donna Diarico. So this is the group that investigates Waverly Hills, and I believe that that group changes from episode to episode. I don't think it's the same celebrities going in all the time. Uh, but So these are the five that will investigate Waverly Hills. Matt Moniz, you have been to Waverly Hills, conducted an investigation, and captured evidence at that location. What do you think is going to happen here to these celebrities? They're going to come out re- screaming like little girls. You know, I'm starting to think that maybe that's all VH1 is looking to have happen. Maybe it's not necessarily all about the evidence and about uh, proving a haunting or disproving a haunting as Ghost Hunters or some of these other programs might do. I think it's really just, let's see if we can make these celebrities run screaming from these places. This kind of worries me because they're they're taking this as a, um, I don't want to say joke, but they're taking it less seriously than they should. If you're throwing these people into a place such as Waverly, unattended, without any real experience, Number one, that's unwise, unsafe, and could be potentially dangerous. Because Waverly, even though it's been cleaned out and stuff like that, there's still a lot of dangerous things in there in terms of uh, open pipes and uh, holes through certain parts of the building and floors that they could get injured in. I mean, you to just leave them alone in a place without any type of supervision uh, is... Negligent, in my personal opinion, number one, just from a state safety standpoint. Number two, uh, they are not really trained to deal with something if they do encounter something. And I'm pretty sure, knowing Waverly, <laughs> been there myself, something will happen. Now, it's... I know you said that they're not treating it as a joke, as a joke, and I have to agree. I mean, it, it seems like they have the best of intentions uh, in terms of what they're doing. They're sending them in. They give them the history of the site, the background on the ghosts, testimonials of the sightings. They give them EMF meters, laser thermometers, thermal imaging cameras, digital recorders, and handheld cameras to document the investigation. What's missing from that? A seasoned investigator to show them how it all works and what it all means when they use it, number one. Or even just some sort of training, right. period. I right. Mean, That's what I'm talking about. They don't necessarily have to bring an invest. I, I could almost... You know, begrudgingly give them not sending in somebody experienced with them uh, as much as it would really lend to the credibility of whatever they do capture if there is a seasoned investigator there. Uh, but the fact that they're not going to undergo the training that a capers investigator or a taps investigator would have to go through before. I mean, I'm just assuming by this is what they're putting right. out as a press release. They're not saying that, the, you know, they've undergone six months training. You know, they're just basically saying they're giving them the equipment, they're giving them some information about the location and throwing them into the fire. Uh, that's that's equivalent to handing somebody off the street an M16 a packet full of grenades and ammo and shoving them out in the streets of, you know, Iraq. Okay. There's two problems here. One is they're going to 
whether they mean to or not, they're going to basically take a giant dump on the process of paranormal investigating. Because you're going to get a guy, all right, Gary Busey, the guy's a little bit of a loose cannon. Everybody knows that. They're going to watch that because they expect Gary Busey to be that cartoon character, that caricature of himself. But a guy like Hal Sparks is just going to go on there and make jokes, very funny jokes, I'm sure, but he's going to take it very lightheartedly, and you know, it, it's, it's going to be a joke to him. The second point... Until that, something happens to him. Well, and the second point that I want to make is that they're going to not understand the process of what it is they're doing. They're going to jump on every little thing as paranormal. I mean, these are not the group of people that I want to make to determine if whether or not Waverly Hills is haunted. Because every time they're, the place is loaded with bats. Yeah. Every time a bat flies by, they're going to be, you know, it's, I just have a bad feeling about what this is going to do to serious, uh, paranormal investigators. I'd like to know what other paranormal investigators think. Please contact me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Get, contact us all, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. That'll go to all three of us. Let us know what you think. Post on our message board. Email us on MySpace. Do whatever it is you need to get in touch with us, because I'd like to get some reaction here, and I'd like to get in touch with people at VH1, which I'm working on, to try to get some of these, uh, maybe some of these actors or maybe the producers of the program involved, and I'd like to put them on the air with some serious investigators and say, listen, you know, let's make sure that you got your bases covered here, because I just think that it's headed for disaster and not in just the merely entertaining way. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be entertaining as all hell. As long as somebody was outside the building, and I'm quite sure Tina was there or her husband. Well, yeah, they're not going to let a bunch of celebrities run amok. Well, because, like I said, the place can be dangerous. There's equipment, there's material, there's debris, there's a lot of dangers. Not, I'm not talking just with any type of spiritual. I'm talking there are physical dangers there if you're not careful. And... Not only that, but couldn't they have just not picked a place that has been so much in the public eye as a haunted location as of late? I mean, I understand, yes. It's if they want to pick a place that's haunted, there's definitely one place it, to go. It's, guaranteed, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to run into something in there that's going to either you know, be documented paranormal evidence or that will freak them out. Yeah. But it's just, it seems to me it's, it's too much of a... a I don't know. I just I have a bad feeling, and I I don't really know where this is going. I'd like to think you know what Jason and Grant think about this, or or actually, you know what? I'd like to find out even what Tina thinks about it. Yeah, well, like, we can give her a call and see. Yeah, what she well, has. and I think I will because I, I'd really like to find out you know exactly you know how this was approached. Maybe I'm dead wrong, and I hope I am. I hope this was done in a very serious vein. I hope that these celebrities were you know trained. I suppose if you sat them down for three or four hours, you could give them a, at least a good enough background of what to expect and, and, and what to debunk and what not to debunk. Maybe these celebrities are interested in the paranormal in general and they have some sort of knowledge. And I don't know. I mean, I, Well, the cameras I think they should be used to because they're used to standing in front of them. They should have a basic idea of how the camera works. EMF detectors and you know digital thermometers and stuff like that may take a little bit longer to try and understand, but it's not rocket science well even using the equipment i'm not so much concerned with as much as just what to expect and and think because uh, i can tell you it's i mean having experienced the physical manipulation by a spirit myself now it's life-altering yeah when you get touched by something and as you know i've had plenty of experiences where i've had things touch me grab me punch me bite me slap me 
roaming around. It's, it's, it's not to interrupt you, but it's funny because as this stuff's happening to me, I'm like freaking out and I'm talking about it like the whole way home. And it kind of unnerved me how Matt Moniz was not really that like he was pretty even keel about it. And I was like, he doesn't believe me. But it's just because what happened to me is so minor league compared to what he's gone through. Yeah, when you've been literally picked up and thrown across a room to you know to slam on the wall on the other side, you know that gets your attention. So I don't know if you remember. I, I know that we come from the generation of MTV where they used to show music videos, and those were the good old days. Remember that, Matt? Yeah, I remember that. Remember that? But I don't know if you remember. I'd say ninety nine, two thousand, maybe they had a program called MTV's Fear. And what they did is they had this uh, night vision camera set up that sat on a harness uh, that was pointed directly at the person's face, and they let these people loose in a supposedly haunted location. And the idea behind the show was that the power of the fear would mess with their minds, and you know whether it was haunted or not, they would have all these reactions. And it was, I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of paranormal investigators out there that cringe at the mention of that program, uh, and I'm sure that this is going to evoke a similar reaction so spooky crew at spooky com. let us know what you think uh i'll be i'll be watching it i'll you know i'd like to say that i'll give at least the first episode a chance i'll probably watch them all just because i'm more interested in finding out about the history of these locations and you know just the the, the different phenomena that may occur uh more than i am about how the celebrities react but yeah if I can see Gary Busey get into a fist fight with a ghost, that'll be worth it. My money's on the ghost. But uh, I guarantee, now, I'm sure once you get a hold of one of these people on the panel or the producers, you'll find, if, especially at Waverly, that I guarantee a lot of the stuff that they had happened happened off camera in terms of experiences for them. Yeah, they're going to not want to show a lot of it, you think? Or just that they didn't have the camera on at the time? They didn't have the camera on, or it happened out of range. Is that the nature of the spirits there, you think? Uh, In some some cases, yes. So that is the Celebrity Paranormal Project. And like I said, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I hope that it turns out to be another, a, a, a way to mainstream the idea of paranormal investigating, a way to make the common, you know, whatever the demographic is for VH1 these days, to make them buy into the possibility of the paranormal a little bit more. Uh, but this is kind of on par. You know, when, as, as Derek Bartlett says, you know, I think he said it's a six-year cycle for the paranormal. For six years, it's kind of like something people don't talk about. They're interested in but they don't really share it. And then every six years, it seems to peak, and there's programming about it on television and a, a massive amount of books that come out. And then for there'll be another six-year downswing. You know, he thinks that it kind of operates on a cycle like that. And I hope that this isn't like... The beginning of the downward slope. But we'll find out. October 22nd at 10 p.m. VH1 Celebrity Paranormal Project. And our uh, non-celebrity paranormal project is just about wrapped up for this edition of Spooky South Coast. If uh, either of you guys have anything you want to add? You want to plug any more appearances? Matt Costa will be uh, washing his car at Joe's Car Wash in Wareham tomorrow afternoon. If you Oh, that's right. Penny Dreadful's History of Horror on uh, the 27th, next Friday night. Uh, stop by South Coast Learning. Sign up on southcoastlearning.org. Uh, go to shillingshockers.com for more information. She'll be teaching the History of Horror course. I believe that same night also, New England Paranormal will be teaching their course up in Boston as well. You can go to their website, newenglandparanormal.com. And uh, I'll be covering a Wareham football game if uh, if there's nothing paranormal related to that, but... What is that, Friday? 
Next Friday, Friday the 27th. Oh, the Capers meeting. That's right, too. The Capers meeting is that night as well. Action packed. How are we going to uh, represent ourselves at all these events? The uh, Capers open meeting for this month is, I believe, Haunted Cape Cod, which Derek Bartlett will talk about some of the Cape Cod hauntings. And uh, so you would definitely want to check that out. Perfect for the pre-Halloween weekend. And uh, we will be back in some form or fashion on the 28th, whether it's live over the air or another podcast show. We will have something for you. We will talk about the holiday of Halloween. We will talk about its history. We'll talk about the Costas Crypto Creature of the Month, the Jack-O-Lantern. We'll get into all of that. And uh, hopefully we'll be on the air and ready to take your calls. So from Matt Costa, from Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. supernaturalist.